You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. First and 10 at the Dallas 41. Bradford in the shotgun. Three receiver. Murray to his left. Bradford takes the snap. He fakes to Murray. He's back. He steps up. He fires. It's complete. Across the 20, the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Jordan Matthews. The Eagles win. The game is over. Jordan Matthews catches the pass from Bradford and takes it home. And the Eagles win in overtime. Great protection up front. Sam Bradford working that pocket. Finds Jordan Matthews. He runs away from J.J. Wilcox and into the end zone. Lights out. What a finish to an incredible night. Say goodnight, Matthews. Lights out indeed. I absolutely loved hearing that call for the first time when I was driving home from the Novacare Complex. It was some god-awful time in the morning. But nonetheless, it felt great because the Eagles beat the Dallas Cowboys 33-27. to Welcome to the Eagles Insider Podcast. I am Chris McPherson. Joined alongside Fran Duffy and Alex Smith. Fran, uh, what are you going to have for us on uh, enemy intel a little later on in the uh, in the show before we... Well, uh, we will talk about the Miami Dolphins and what I've seen from them and some of the changes they've undergone offensively and defensively since their mid-season changes. But obviously we've got a lot to talk about before that. Of course. And uh, Alex Smith, the purveyor of fun and games. Yes, we will be taking our talents to South Beach, just like LeBron James did. I'm going Miami. There it is. Bringing it back. So uh, thank you very much to uh, Brian Thomas, Chris Stevens for making the Merrill call happen. I, I just, after I heard it, because there's always that, how did the call sound on the radio? How did Merrill get it? And Merrill Mike did a phenomenal job. I, I got to be honest, that's one of Merrill's better calls I've heard. I mean, that was a great call when I got back, landed in the plane, heard it like 5.30 in the morning. I was like, man, that's a pretty good yeah. call. Yeah, so, that is a good call. I was and overtime. He just trails out. I was like, that's pretty good. That was actually the first time I heard it. I haven't heard it until just this very second. Okay. Very first good. and 10. Again. At the Let's Dallas 41. Bradford in the shotgun. Three receivers. Murray to his left. Bradford takes the snap. He fakes to Murray. He's back. He steps up. He fires. It's complete. Across the 20. The 10. The 5. Touchdown. Jordan Matthews. The Eagles win. The game is over. Jordan Matthews catches the pass from Bradford and takes it home, and the Eagles win in overtime. Great protection up front. I, I can just imagine Merrill kind of like popping up and down as he's like <laughs> getting really excited and like getting all into the call. Well, that's so, awesome. Well, B, you weren't in the booth, right? So you didn't get to see I was the, not in the booth. Uh, I was on the field. I was behind the, the offense. Right. So I'm shooting the play, and Matthews just runs out of my vision. So I'm thinking, like, okay, this is a big gain, and we're going to get in field goal range. And I see our bench. I see people just doing this. And I look up, and I see I'm like, oh, he's going to score. Raising his ar- and as I, and as I look yeah. up at the I look up at the board, I look back down. <laughs> the entire bench is just on the – I'm like, okay, so we just won the game. So there we go. Brian Thomas was actually on Twitter in a couple of photos of Jordan yes. Matthews walking off the field. There's a Brian Thomas uh, kind of looking into the crowd in the background. The so. winner's circle, BT. <laughs> BT and J Matt. Alex, what was the uh, reaction like in the press box at AT&T Stadium? Uh, it was very interesting. I was sitting next to Dave Spadaro, uh, and as soon as Bradford caught the pass, uh, and it was Byron Jones, I think, who slipped. Yes. As soon as we saw Jones slip, uh, we both kind of stood up. <laughs> Spuds kind of leaped up. 
Mine was like a much more slower. I was anticipating what was happening next. Um, and then as soon as he crossed the goal line, there was a lot of punching, um, a lot of fist pumping. And then it was uh, time to get to work, time to start writing, head down to the locker room and uh, hear from the guys. So it was, uh, it was really cool to be there for that. So I was on the set of the uh, post-game show presented by Rico with linebacker uh, Ike Reese. And, you know, we came down a couple minutes before regulation was set to end because we figured, okay, that there would be a result one way or the other. Yeah. So you're sitting there and you see the, the Eagles win the toss and they, they're moving the ball down the field. And then Ryan Matthews has that fumble. And you just yeah. I thought to myself, this this is going to be like what, what undoes the team here. This is going to be what the mistake that's going to – Set the Eagles back, and luckily enough, the replay immediately showed that his knee was down, and they were able, on the very next play, to get the touchdown. Yeah, we couldn't see it from uh, up in the booth, obviously, but uh, the refs took a bit of a long time to kind of decide whether to call it a fumble or not. Uh, So me and Spuds were just kind of glued to the TV broadcast just to see uh, what was going to happen, and as soon as you saw his knee was down, uh, that was just a huge boost of confidence inside the press box. I'll be honest, on the field, I thought it was obvious that his knee was down. I mean, I was I was shooting the play, but I just thought it, there was a lot of time between when he was on the ground and when the ball kind of popped up. All right, so thank you all to all of you who have subscribed to the podcast, and make sure to rate and comment wherever you download them. And don't forget to sample some of our other offerings. You have the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, yeah! Fran Duffy, and uh, the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. So that's going to do it for the opening monologue here, so to speak, with the fellas. Let's dive into three and outs. One, two, three, three. Three is a magic number. Three, three. Now it's time for three and out. All right, three and out is where the three of us take a certain topic from the game and uh, delve deeper into it. So I'm going to start things off, and I'll go with a look at the quarterback. Sam Bradford, and to me, this might have been the in Sam we trust game. You look at the numbers right off the top, 25 of 36, 295 yards. He had a game-winning touchdown to Jordan Matthews. No turnovers whatsoever. The Eagles, they scored on each of their final seven drives in the game, except for that end-of-regulation kneel down. It seemed like every time in the second half that Dallas answered the Eagles, the Eagles, led by Bradford, were there with a counterpunch to keep things going. And in overtime, just simply phenomenal, goes into the huddle after the uh, review regarding the turnover with Matthews' non-fumble. And he told Jordan Matthews, look, this play's coming to you. It's your time to shine. Your time to take it to the end zone. And Bradford placed a beautiful ball that allowed Matthews to catch the ball, run away from the defense, and score a touchdown. So to me, I think there have been times where Bradford's play has been sort of a little underappreciated because of things like the drops and you know things happening around him. I thought finally tonight everything came together for him. Matthews was phenomenal, caught everything in his way, and I think that we saw what this offense can be against. Look, this is not a, a sieve of a defense. This is a, a good Cowboys defense. There were concerns about the pass rush with Greg Hardy going against Lane Johnson at left tackle. I thought Bradford handled the pocket well, moved well, was very accurate all throughout the night. I thought this was the signature moment for Sam Bradford. Yeah, I thought that overall it was the most complete game that the Eagles offense had played, and especially those last three quarters. I thought there was a sustaining element 
to the way that they were playing, the way they were moving the football both through the air and on the ground. I thought the pass protection was good. The offensive line played well despite the fact that Jason Peters was out. Really just an impressive overall performance from everybody. And really, this kind of bleeds into what I wanted to talk about, which was those bi-week adjustments and things that we've talked about over the last couple weeks. What was going to happen during the self-scouting process? What kind of wrinkles would be added? What kind of changes could possibly be made to this offensive scheme? And, you know, you talk about that last touchdown to Jordan Matthews, the game winner in overtime. That was a complimentary play, a play that how often have we seen Jordan Matthews get big gainers on some of these crossing routes, some of these deep over routes off play action with the quarterback rolling out to his left or to his right? And they, what they did was they ran that same play, except instead of Matthews going all the way across the field, when he got reached that halfway point, he stuck his foot in the ground and broke the opposite way so the defender would overcommit. He was wide open. He got Byron Jones to fall. It was the second time they ran it. They had a 28-yarder uh, the first time they ran it, and the second time ended up being the game-winning touchdown. All little twists like that were the, exactly what we talked about a week ago right on this podcast was how do you find the things that you do well figure out how the opponents are going to try and defend it and then try and figure out what are the best ways we can formulate a complementary play off of those plays and, and try and generate some good yardage so it's really just a great job overall by the coaching staff by the players of executing the plays and uh you know it's a great team win the awesome thing about Matthews, you guys were talking about him, is that I think it was his first catch of the game was a shallow cross, and he got lit up. Yes, and mm-hmm. it's a ball that unfortunately we've seen him, we've seen it go off his hands a couple times this season. He hasn't been able to hold on to it, and he did hold on to it. I think it was on a third down, and it was short of the stick, so they didn't get the first down. But either way, I think that kind of really helped his confidence moving forward. And along those lines, as I get into my point here, I'm wondering if this is the springboard game for the Eagles. Now that they're back to four and four, we're seeing the offense start to click. C-Mac, you mentioned that Bradford had his signature game to date. We saw Murray and Matthews have a great game together, a nice distribution of carries. We saw Jordan Matthews get going. The defense came up with a couple of big plays as well. So is this the game where the where the Eagles finally get things turned around? Because this is the point in the season where things could start to turn in the Eagles' favor. If you look at the upcoming schedule, and I know that you have to take things one day at a time and, and all of that, but the next three games, the Eagles should be favored. When they have two home matchups against Miami and then Tampa Bay, Miami should be a, probably a close game because they're playing a lot better under Dan Campbell. But, you know, I think the Eagles should be favored in both of those games. Then you have Detroit on Thanksgiving. They just fired their general manager. They fired the team president. So there's a lot going on there. So those are three games in a row where the Eagles could go on a little bit of a run here. Then they have the Patriots. And obviously that's going to be a really tough game. But after that, three straight home games in December for the Eagles. I think it's, uh, what, five of their next seven games are at home. So this is really a time for the Eagles to really get things going. And I think there were a lot of good things to take away from last night, a lot of things that should make fans feel pretty good here moving forward. Certainly that's the case. Now, of course, a lot of people point to the game in Dallas last year as, hey, look at where the Eagles are. They should be able to do big things down the stretch. And as Chip Kelly pointed out, they weren't able to take advantage and they lost three of their final four games down the stretch in the month of December. Maybe this is a year where, you know, instead of peaking early in the season, they're going to play their best football in the final couple months of the season and they'll be able to make that push toward the playoffs and kind of work through their growing pain. So we'll see how that all works out. So that's going to do it for us here in three and out. Let's transition to the interview. And now it's time for what you've all been waiting for, the interview. All right, my special guest this week on the Eagles Insider Podcast for the interview, none other than kicker, Caleb Sturgis. Caleb, welcome first and foremost to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So you made a little bit of history on Sunday night in Dallas, and you may not have known this, but uh, our fine PR guru, Alex Zirkel, who is sitting here in the room as we record this, 
noted that only two players in Eagles history, two kickers, have had a 50-yard field goal in back-to-back weeks. So you're just a second person to ever do that. Did you know that first and foremost? Uh, just, you know, I just heard it for the first time from Alex as well uh, as okay. I was coming up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> so take me through the celebration afterward because it seemed like everyone wanted to swarm you. But then you kind of were almost like, like sort of like do like the backup off me type of thing. So it was kind of like you don't want like some like grammatica type celebration to happen where we end up getting injured. No, well, I mean, there's still a decent amount of time left, and you know they'd taken a kickoff pretty far back. I wanted to concentrate on hitting a real good kickoff and gotcha. uh, you know send the defense up. So it was nothing to do with you know it just it's like it's like calm down guys it's all right we still have some football to play. No, I was really excited, but you know as a kicker <laughs> you never want to get too amped up and then you know shank the kickoff type thing. I still had another kick on the next play. So what is the chemistry like between yourself, John Dornboss, who has been here a long time, longest tenured player here in Philly since 2006, and Donnie Jones, who has been outstanding this season, one of the unsung heroes on this football team? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just been really neat being a part of that group. And, uh, you know, Cody as well. And I think we all get along really well. And they're just, you know, great professionals. We've done it for a long time. So it's been neat learning a few things from them. And, you know, they make things easy on me going out there and, you know, snaps always good, holds always good. What is it like being around them as the characters <laughs> that they are? John Dornboss hosts Inside the Eagles along with, with Donnie and I don't know if there's a duo like them anywhere else in the NFL with the hijinks that they get into. So what's it like being around them from that standpoint? Yeah, that's, that's been awesome. You know, they, they keep you calm in all situations. I mean, they're just always having a good time. Um, the, you know, the other guys on the team love them. Um, you know, they're always making guys laugh, and uh, it's just fun being a part of that group. You mentioned Cody. So how has he been involved? Has he been able to help you out with, you know, some of the different things that he's seen and, you know, kind of help you get adjusted to the team? Yeah, it's been great. You know, Cody's a good friend of mine. We kicked together in the off season before. And oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because he's down in Jupiter, and I was down in Miami, and he kicked to Auburn, and I kicked to Florida. So I've known him a long time since we were both in college. And uh, he's been great, you know, just bouncing a few things off him about the stadium, the winds, um, even the everyday practicing, how he, you know, stayed fresh and had such a good year last year. I've just tried to learn a lot from him. What are some of the things that the coaches do that maybe are some of the little nuances that help improve you as a kicker here? Um, I think they, they put you through a lot of situations. Um, you know, Coach Phipp, uh, he, he wants to simulate a game a lot in some of the situations. Uh, we call it clutch, and you know it's good to be able to run out from the sideline. Actually, you know, feels like a game um, on top of doing field goal period where you're really trying to work to uh, hone in on everything. How do you simulate the pressure? Because I figured that's obviously got to be the toughest part is to you know try pretend that there's you know Dallas, there's ninety thousand people at that stadium, try to you know all booing against you it's probably hard to simulate that part of it so how do you try to uh, replicate that part of it right so that I don't concentrate quite as much on I think it's kind of similar to golf whether you know you're playing around by yourself or you know you're playing a tournament type thing if you're hitting the ball really well and you had you know hit the ball really well in practice you don't really worry about when you go up to hit it in a game or in a tournament type thing and so for me I just concentrate on having really good practices here and then in the game it's just another kick so being from Florida, what was it like to go to the University of Florida? Did you grow up in a family that was, they were all Gators fans or Seminoles fans or Hurricanes fans? What was uh, that experience like? I grew up a huge Gator fan. Okay. Uh, my mom went to the University of Florida, and I always okay. knew if, if they offered me, that's where I was going. And on Was top- that where you wanted to go or where you felt like, I better go here or... Uh, 
I don't want to be disowned by my family. I mean, that's where I wanted to go. That's where <laughs> all my, you know, all my college gear was all Florida growing up. So, I mean, it was a dream come true when they offered me and got a chance to play there. How, uh, how tough is it to get to that championship level? Because I'm sure you probably thought your freshman year, we win the championship, you know, we got all this talent, we should be able to get back there again. And Florida hasn't been able to do that since since uh, Urban left. Yeah, so it was, I mean, it was pretty crazy when we went there. We won a national championship the first year. We start out 12-0 and the next year. I mean, it just kind of felt like we weren't ever going to lose. We were just going to keep winning SEC championships, national championships. And we lost to Alabama, and that kind of started their run. And you kind of see how hard it is as a program to continue that dominance. What's your favorite kick of your career from college? Um, One that stands out the so most? I'm from St. Augustine, Florida, which is near Jacksonville. I grew up uh, – Grew up a Jaguars fan, so if I ever went to a game, it would be then it was Altel. I'm not sure what what the name of yep. it is now, but we played the Florida Georgia game there mm-hmm. and uh, hit a 56 against Georgia. I mean, it's just neat to go back to hometown, you know, have a lot of friends and family that go to the game and be able to hit a big kick there was was cool. So what's interesting about your family, Caleb, is you're not the only pro athlete. So is it something in the water down there in St. <laughs> Augustine? But uh, your older brother, in fact, who you called your role model. We're actually doing a feature in our game day magazine uh, for the Dolphins game, uh, and you list your your role model and you listed your brother. Um, talk about his experiences and you know what is it like being in a family with another pro athlete? Yeah, I mean he kind of he led the way somewhat of you know my career path and all. Um, and I'm one of six, and my oldest sister went out went on and played William and Mary and really okay oldest brother played soccer at Flagler and then next brother played on the under 17 national team and went to Clemson and went pro at 18 Jeez. so it was um it was really neat to see him see how he handled himself you know I don't I don't know if I could go pro at 18 I feel like I needed the five years of college to yeah <laughs> to really learn and uh you know he's just handled himself so well finished his degree in college and he's just really set himself up and I've learned a lot from him so how did he go on to the soccer path? Because he's in Houston now, correct? Right. And then how did you go on the football? How did that split happen? Yeah, so uh, I went to football because I wasn't near as good as him in soccer. Okay. <laughs> so I just thought you know, getting my education paid for would be easier in football because I saw he was probably top five players of his age mm-hmm. you know, coming out. And even so with soccer, I think they only have like nine full rides, maybe 11 to distribute. So they kind of have to break them up. And coming from six six kids in our family, you know, parents couldn't necessarily pay for college. So um, I knew you know, most schools scholarship to kicker. And I just thought that'd be an easier way to get my education paid for. Have you ever sought his advice on anything, anything that you've gone through or just how he handled himself making that transition at such a young age to the pro ranks? Yeah, we've, we've definitely talked about a few different things. You know, when um, I got cut by the Dolphins, he kind of called me, talked to me a little bit. Cause he, I think he might have played for the most teams in MLS history. I think he's been on seven, eight teams. So He's know, been through it a yeah, couple he, times. He, right, he's been through it and, you know, just kind of told me not to take it personal. You, know, you just got to take the next step to get back. What do you think you learned from that time when you were cut by the Dolphins to signing with the Eagles that's helped you in, in your second NFL stint, so to speak? It just makes you uh, makes you realize how bad you want it. You know, when you get cut, you kind of have two ways to go. One is you you want is you stop trying quite as hard and you know kind of fade out. Or another is you know kind of lights a fire under you and you'll do everything you can to get back in. Is it true that you were going to the local YMCA 
to uh, practice kicks in the parking lot. Is that is that what I what I had read? <laughs> yeah, they had some soccer fields with some light okay. posts, so went out and kicked at those. Uh, you you don't realize till you're out. It's, you know, you can't just go to a high school in the <laughs> middle of the day. They, you know, they don't want a 26 year old guy on campus. <laughs> <laughs> and then, how long did you have to wait from that time before the Eagles made the call? So it was, about, it was three weeks. Three I weeks, think. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had three three tryouts in that time, so it was. I uh, kind of treated those three weeks like it was game days. You knew that the trials would come on Monday and Tuesday, and you'd have to be ready on those days to perform almost like a game. Now, take me through the trial itself. Exactly how are those set up? How did you win the one here with, with the Eagles? Uh, so, you know, there from the three that I did, there's anywhere between two, and then here there are six guys, and there's you try you do a few kickoffs for them, and. You know, anywhere from six to 15 field goals and it's just kind of I mean it's like a almost like a game where you're competing against the guy next to you and whoever does a better job that's probably who they're going to keep obviously other things like past performance and um, you know injury history and things like that can play into it but it's really you're competing with the other guys there to win the job. Kale last question for you here on Eagles entire podcast Sunday going against your former team Last year, Cody Parkey got the opportunity to uh, hit the game winner against the Indianapolis Colts, the team that traded him. Have you daydreamed at all? Have you given any thought whatsoever about, you know what, it wouldn't be a, a bad situation if there's a 50-yard field goal, game's tied, three seconds left, and uh, you get to show your former team what it's missing? Yeah, I think uh, every game, that's kind of a mentality that I have is, you know, I want that opportunity. It's so that way, if, if you do have the opportunity, you're ready for it. Um, I have a lot of friends on on that team. I really liked a lot of the players, so I wish them the best. But on this Sunday, I definitely want to get the win. Caleb Sturgis, kicker for the Philadelphia Eagles. Thank you very much for joining us here on the Eagles Entire Podcast. Thank you. Time to get ready for game day. It's time for Enemy Intel. All right, it is now time for Enemy Intel. As Fran Duffy breaks down all the X's and O's, we're talking Eagles and Miami Dolphins this weekend. Fran First things first, looking at the Miami Dolphins offense, obviously their offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor, was here back in 2013. He was the Eagles quarterbacks coach. So how many similarities are there actually between what the Dolphins are doing now and what Lazor and the Eagles were doing here in 2013? Well, I I think the biggest similarity you see, obviously it's the zone run game and they've gotten away from it a little bit, you know, with the, with the coaching change, Dan Campbell taking over, you're seeing a little bit more from a gap scheme perspective, a little bit more under center. Uh, and that's certainly a big change. So it's not exactly apples to apples. When you look at this team, it's not a mirror image of what the Eagles offense is. And it's not a mirror image of what the Eagles offense was even back in 2013. The other thing that you're going to see, and the Eagles were a huge screen team in 2013, a really big screen team, mm-hmm. you know, especially with those double screens where you've got you know maybe a bubble screen out to the left and then they run a base screen back to the right or a tight end screen to the right uh just different combinations of different screen plays to both sides of the field the dolphins are a big screen play team so this will have to be a big discipline week here for the eagles defense especially at the second level uh of making sure that their eyes are in the right place and that they're very cognizant of where these eligible receivers and backs are uh, at different areas of the game so you mentioned that under interim head coach dan campbell that they kind of changed things up they've slowed down their tempo a little bit they're going more under center is that good for Ryan Tannehill? 
Well, that's a good question. You know, I've talked about that in the past with Greg Cosell, and, I, and just leading up to the week, I was asking, actually over the weekend, asking Greg what he thinks about Tannehill, not just over the last couple of weeks, but just in general, where he thinks that he's at the stage of his career. And he has always told me that he thinks Tannehill has gotten better each and every year that he's been in the league. He thinks now that he's kind of plateaued. He, th- he thinks that he's reached kind of that point where you know where Ryan Tannehill is. He's not going to be, you know, one of the top passers in the league, but he's a solid player. Does it help him? I mean, I think that you still want to be able to use his athleticism. So they'll find different ways to get him out in the perimeter. Uh, you know, maybe it's not in the zone read game as much, and we'll see what the, who the new staff will be uh, next year and how they decide to use him. But his athleticism will always be a big part of how he plays. Another big part of the Miami offense is Jarvis Landry, and he's a wide receiver who I think he may go under the radar for a lot of people who aren't too familiar with the Miami team, but he's a member of that 2014 wide receiver draft class, which, you know, Odell Beckham and Jordan Matthews, obviously in the second round, but Landry is also a part of that. And he's put up some really big numbers in that offense. So how exactly are the Dolphins using him? Well, you know, the, the good thing about Landry is that he's a complete receiver. You know, he's got outstanding hands. He's got great ball skills. He's a very good route runner. The question with him coming out, especially after the combine, was what kind of an athlete was he? Because he had a historically bad combine performance, not just, oh, he ran a bad 40. His numbers across the board were very, very poor, and it didn't look like that on tape. So that was the question. Well, how come they were so bad? You know, maybe our, our eyes deceived us on the tape. You know, what was the deal with that? Fell to the second round. He's been a steal for them, and he's, been, he's a big playmaker. They move him all over the place. You know, he's listed as the slot receiver, and he does see a lot of reps from the slot, but they do a lot of different things with him outside. He'll get some carries on reverses and end arounds. They do a lot of different things with him that you wouldn't expect from a receiver that was, you know, considered to be not such a great athlete coming out of the combine. So, He's going to be a tough test for this Eagles defense because they line him up in so many different places uh, and he can win in a number of different ways. He's a really impressive receiver. How comparable is he athletically to an Odell Beckham? I think just from a naked eye, I think Beckham might be a little bit taller, but just from a naked eye, they kind of seem a little bit similar in the way that their teams can kind of move them around. Yeah, Beckham was more dynamic. And that was the thing is both of those guys coming out because they came out the same year. Both of those guys were great at the catch point. They were very good route runners. They were good blockers. I mean, they, you checked all the boxes with them in terms of what you want. They were good after the catch, and Jarvis Landry's great after the catch. You know, the, the question, the, the only difference was that he had a little bit more suddenness to him, Beckham did, and he had a little bit more twitch in terms of uh, his ability to, you know, gain ground and pull away quickly from defenders. Beckham's got the edge there for sure, and in terms of long speed, absolutely. Switching over to the Dolphins defense, the defensive line has had a couple of notable players, but Cameron Wake, unfortunately, out for the season. They did, however, sign Indomitian Sue over the offseason. He was the big fish out there in the free agency market. So how does that defensive line shape up? What has Sue brought to the team? Well, you know, I would say that it's fair to say that he hasn't lived up to the $65 million guaranteed or whatever. I know it was a $100 million mm-hmm. deal, but whatever that guaranteed money was, I don't think he's lived up to that. There are times where he does flash it, no question about it, and he, he can be unblockable, but too often – He's just taken out of the play, you know, whether it's by single teams or double teams. And that's what a lot of the Miami fans and a lot of the Miami writers will say, well, well, you know, he gets double teamed. Well, a lot of players get double teamed. Betty Logan gets double teamed. Fletcher Cox gets double teamed. And those guys are able to make plays. And you look around the league at some of these other disruptive defensive linemen. You know, Aaron Donald gets double teamed and he's continually uh, in opposing backfields and making plays. So I don't know that you can just say, oh, well, he's getting double teamed. That's why, you know, he's not making as many plays. Still disruptive guy and absolutely can take over at any point on any given play when he turns it on. That's been the question and the concern, though, is you know how often can he do that? Losing Cameron Wake is is just such a big blow for them, mm-hmm. and you know what they're going to have to do to try and create a pass rush will be interesting moving forward. The Eagles saw Sue in 2014, the snowball game when he was still with the Lions. Obviously, things kind of went uh, a little crazy in that game with the weather, and teams weren't really able to run the ball and, and pass the ball well. But how similar is 
the way the Dolphins use Sue similar to the way that Detroit did, or is it very different? I know that Lewis Riddick has talked about it a lot on Twitter and has said, you know, when you when you bring a guy like that into your team, you almost want to make it so he is playing the exact same way. You almost want to try and steal the defensive line coach if you can from the other team. Right. You run the same things up front because you're putting so much investment into that kind of an asset. Uh, you know, it's it's a gamble to not do it that way. Overall, I think they're they're playing them pretty much the same way. They don't do all the same things up front defensively. Obviously, Detroit over the last couple of years had used that wide nine, and you know there are some different things that they do on the outside. But I mean, he's lining up as a three technique. Sometimes we'll see the reps as a one technique. He lines up at left defensive tackle. They're asking him to beat blocks and get into the, get into the backfield. I mean, there's only so many other ways. It's not like he's coming into a two gap three four scheme and trying to play as a nose tackle mm-hmm. over the center every play. He's asked to do pretty much the same things that he was asked to do in Detroit. We will see how it all shakes out on Sunday. Great stuff from Fran Duffy, as always, here in Enemy Intel. And now let's move ahead to game time. Get out your scorecards. It's game time. Gentlemen, it's time for game time. And in today's edition, we'll be playing Welcome to Miami. We can just play that sound drop. Bienvenido uh, a Miami. Correct. A1A, Beachfront Avenue. Uh, so in today's game, we will be... Uh, I have some uh, trivia questions for you guys about Miami. South uh, Beach. Pop Bring culture and uh, sports related. Uh, and we'll see which one of you guys uh, knows South Beach better. Uh, so we'll start things off with C-Mac. Okay. C-Mac, the Miami Dolphins have a number of celebrity minority owners. Can you name two of them? Uh, Venus Williams. That's correct. That's one. Wow. I didn't and know that. Gloria Estefan. Correct. Wow. Nicely, nicely done. Can you name another? Two. Is it Mark Anthony another? Correct. That's three. <laughs> Keep going. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, he already said Venus. So Serena. Serena. Uh, and then the other two that you missed were uh, Amelia Estefan and Fergie. Oh, okay. Uh, Fergie, but well done. So, I thought uh, you were going to say Emilio Estevez, and I think you're really <laughs> excited. Uh, so one point there for C-Mac. Uh, Fran, Dolphins interim head coach Dan Campbell played in the NFL for 10 seasons yes. and was a member of four different teams. Yes. Can you name two of them? Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants. Correct. Uh, nicely done. Uh, who else did he play for? Two other teams. Did he play for Miami? He did not play for Miami. He played for the <laughs> Lions and the Saints. Ah, nicely done. You guys are off to a good start here. C-Mac. All right. Which player holds the Dolphins' record for most consecutive starts? <laughs> most consecutive starts in team history, and it's not Dan Marino. OJ McDuffie. Incorrect. Mm. Most Fran- consecutive starts consecutive in team starts. history. Fran, chance to answer. Is it? It's not Dan Marino. Is this person Zach Thomas? Very good guess, but incorrect. Oh. The correct answer. I think Stevens has it. Jason Taylor is correct. Oh, the former zip. That was actually the bonus question. Ah, college, uh, which college did he go to? And he, of course, was an Akron I'm, zip. I am well tuned with my Maction trivia. Uh, <laughs> no points there. Uh, Fran, we're on to you here. LeBron James, when signing with the Miami Heat, famously said that the Heat would win not one, not two, not three, and he went all the way up to not seven, I believe, in terms of championships. 
How many did he actually win with the Miami Heat? He won two. Who did he? Who did they beat? Ooh. San Antonio and Dallas. Incorrect. Who was the second one? Indiana. It was San Antonio and uh, yeah. Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. City. But Fran still gets the point <laughs> there. Uh, nicely done. So Fran's up to two points. C-Mac's at one. C-Mac, your turn. Okay. The Miami Marlins, formerly the Florida Marlins, have won two World Series in their brief history. Mm-hmm. Which two teams did they defeat to win the World Series? Oh, man. This is good. I'm going to Miami. Those rainstorms ain't nothing to mess with. Let's see. Um, just to take a shot in the dark at this one. I'm going to say Yankees for one. Yankees is one. Correct. Um, trying to think who would have been. The other one was in 1997. Oh, was it the year Cleveland made it? Correct. Well Nicely done, done from C-Mac. Good save. As he ties things up at two here on Welcome to Miami. Fran, you're up next. Yes. The 80s TV show Miami Vice Uh-oh. starred Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas as two police detectives. What were their characters' last oh, names? Yeah, I've got no idea. I'm going to Miami. Uh, Johnson & Johnson. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> C-Mac, chance for a rebuttal. For some reason. Before my time. For some reason, uh, like Thomas and Hobbes is coming to my mind. but It's Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. You're not too far off. You got the, you know, the sounds are a little bit close. Crockett and Tubbs. Crockett and Tubbs. <laughs> you have the same amount of syllables. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you said Hobbs and Tubbs. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, all right. Let's get back to the Dolphins here. All right. Uh, that's fantastic. The Dolphins. Pl- <laughs> C-Mac. The Dolphins play at Sun Life Stadium, but the stadium has had four other names. Can you name two of them? Ooh. Ooh, let's see. It's called Sun Life Now. Oh, Can I just go man. original Orange Ball? As no, one you cannot. <laughs> uh, you cannot, no. No. I believe it's actually, a, is that a different stadium? I think it's a, that was a different oh, the, stadium. Uh, the actual uh, sponsors. Yeah. Who that, knows? that would be a college stadium. Yes, that is, that is a college yeah. stadium. Oh, I I don't even think I know the name of this one. No. What do you got? You guys are both both bailing on this one. If the current name is Sun Life. Yeah. I, I oh wait a minute. Uh, I'm just trying to think of what it was I, when I'm we not, played I'm not there in 2011. I weirdly know like every stadium's name and like every sport, and I don't know why. But here are the, here are the other four names it's had: Joe Robbie Stadium. Okay. Pro Player Stadium. That's the one that I always yeah. remember it as. Dolphin Stadium. Sure. And Landshark Stadium. That was the one uh, I was trying to think of. Was the Land most Shark. recent name yes. uh, before Sun Life. So no points there. Okay. Uh, who are we up to here? Up Fran, to run to you. Uh, Fran, the movie Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Oh, yeah. Now we're talking. The Miami Dolphins live mascot is kidnapped. What is the name of the mascot in the film? Snowflake. Correct. Ah! Uh, nicely done. Fran is up to three. I have one question left for each of you. Uh, Fran's up by one point right now. Okay. C-Mac, the 2001 Miami Hurricanes football team won the national title, and they had a number of future NFL players on the roster. They had a running back, a tight end, and a wide receiver that went on to be Pro Bowl players. Can you name them? 
Gore. Gore is incorrect. Uh, oh, too early. One of them is Bo's favorite uh, player. <laughs> Greg Olson. Uh, no, actually. No, that's no, false. No. Yeah. You guys are, you guys are too after. recent. Yeah. 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 Uh, I know what they are, so I can steal after C-Mac makes his third guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm already out. He's so. already out. Would they be Willis McGahee? Incorrect. No? Really? He was not. He was on the 2002 team that lost. That lost. Oh. When he oh. Yeah. The 2001 would have been. So 2001, the guys that I have Was that Edge? Down. Clinton Portis. Oh, uh, it was Clinton Portis. Okay. Jeremy Shockey. Shockey, wow. I was going to guess. And Andre, and Andre Johnson. Johnson. Right. That's good. So no points there. Fran, you can win if you get this correctly. But if you get it incorrectly, C-Mac has a chance to steal and tie the game. We would finish in a tie. This is huge. This is huge. This past offseason. Can this game end in a tie? I don't know. I don't think so. This past offseason, the Dolphins signed Domican Sue to a contract. Spell Domican. I'm not going to be able to do it with that in the background. <laughs> All right. Correctly spelled Domican. D. No, you're right. <laughs> o M A. K-U-N-G. Incorrect. C-Mac, a chance for the steal. N-D-A-M-U-K-O-N-G. Correct. <sighs> and welcome to Miami ends in a tie. There's no tiebreaker? Uh, I did have another question, but I, I got rid of it. I should have kept it as a tiebreaker. Let's see if I can remember it. <laughs> uh, Miami. What is Steven signaling at the end of the table? Uh, Miami. I can't remember what it was. Uh, I guess it's a tie. Game time. It's a tie. Uh, that was game. T- you got. I'm pretty surprised at how well you guys knew your Miami history here. Um, nicely done. Before so. we go to game time, you got to hear this. Uh, so this is a Dolphins fight song. It's by T Pain. This is a, this is a short version of it. I was so tempted to play it. I'm like, we're going to get so off track if I play that song. But this is the, this is the longer full oh, version. I, I actually remembered the bonus question during that during that time. <laughs> oh. Do we want to do we want to do the bonus question? Fell in love sure. with a dolphin. Gosh, that's amazing. That's really good, actually. Uh, here's the bonus question. All right, bonus question. I'll go to C-Mac first, and if he can't get it, Fran has a chance. The Dolphins only have three retired numbers in their history. Which three players have their jerseys retired by the Miami Dolphins? Three players. Only three. I mean, Marino would figure is the obvious choice. Correct. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just listening to this yeah, song. It's pretty good. Oh. Yeah. I got nothing. I don't know, you guys I don't know the other blues. two. So. Yeah. Uh, Dan yeah. Marino, Larry Zonka, sure. okay. and uh, Bob Greasy. Bob Greasy. Of course. 
So there you have it for game time, where I think that actually the MVP of game time was that T-Pain Miami Dolphins song. It was. Song. That's, I'm going to be playing that all week long, I think. Now it's stuck in my head. But uh, <laughs> nicely done, gentlemen. Let's move on to mailing it in. Captain. Incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. You know, the allure of autographed merch brings out the best in the Mailing It In segment. As is usually the case. Of course. A little bribe to get people to send stuff in. So, actually, I don't even think I promised... uh, anything autographed when I sent out the tweet earlier today, but or, uh, on Monday, I should say. But nonetheless, let's delve into it. And actually, first one is very prescient. It comes from our friend Wilton Houston on Twitter. Wants to know about the status of Jordan Hicks. Now, he asked a question thinking it was going to be a short-term injury, the uh, pectoral muscle injury that unfortunately has landed him on injured reserve yes. for the season. So he is done. The silver lining is that Kiko Alonso. Shook off the rust in the win over the Cowboys. Michael Kendricks has been back in action for a few weeks. D'Amico Ryan should be close to coming back to the field. Uh, We'll learn more as the week progresses. So, obviously, those are the three that you are banking on having throughout the course of the season. But just so sad to see Jordan Hicks was the Cowboy killer this year, knocking out Tony Romo, getting the pick six in the win on Sunday, having a phenomenal season out of nowhere. No one saw this coming from the rookie. You did not think he was going to do this as a rookie, Frank. Well, not because of opportunity was mainly the reason why I didn't think so. I figured that all the guys ahead of him would keep him from having that. So, obviously, very disappointing to see him land on injured reserve. So, I guess the question is moving forward, okay, what could potentially happen schematically with him out of the lineup? You know, I think that... It was interesting because it was something that I was really excited to see was with Kiko coming back in the lineup. Obviously, D'Amico's out was out still on Sunday night, but uh, you got to see what this rotation would look like with Kiko Alonso, Michael Kendricks, and with Jordan Hicks all in the lineup. And it was interesting to see the different combinations and how those guys were used. In Dime in particular, when it was just one linebacker on the field, it was Kiko Alonso in there and not Jordan Hicks. And that was one of the big questions, you know, in talking with Greg Cosell that he had was, how can you take Jordan Hicks off the field in Dime just because he had done such a good job in that role? And he obviously had has the athleticism we saw the ability and coverage the other night with that pick six which was an outstanding read by him but you know I think that that's where you'll see that you'll see Kiko step in a dime look these guys are getting healthy at the right time with Kiko coming back and with Michael now being healthy as well D'Amico coming back will we'll take some reps especially in base downs tough loss no question yeah I think before the season started the Eagles defensive coaches probably had this idea of okay Kiko's gonna play x percentage of snaps and D'Amico's gonna play this and Hicks will get in and play this and then with all these injuries it seems like there's just been one after another and everybody's had to step up and play more reps than people thought that they would with D'Amico Ryan's going in there and having to play more and then Hicks obviously taking on a much much larger role than we expected I think hopefully D'Amico comes back this week because I still think that Kiko Alonso is still kind of coming along. I think we saw it, you know, they're taking things a little bit slower with him as he comes back from the knee injury, but we'll see how things work out here. But I think the good news for the Eagles is that if they're healthy, the inside linebackers rotation is very deep. What's going to be interesting to me is Jordan Hicks sort of became the leader. He became the play caller there in the middle of that lineup. So you figure, obviously, D'Amico can go in there, but if they want to have, you know, Kiko and Michael Kendricks in base. Who's the one who makes the calls in that situation? So that's going to be something that will be fascinating to see moving forward. All right, our next question uh, comes from at Sleeper SS or Sleepers on Twitter. Wants to know about the 
change that Bill Davis made late in the game, putting EJ Biggers into the game to cover Cole Beasley? I think, honestly, that it was more about just having dime on the field as opposed to nickel in a passing situation where you knew that the Cowboys were trying to drive the football through the air to try and get a victory as opposed to just saying, okay, we're going to put Biggers in. I think it was just more, instead of nickel, it was it was more dime. And when they went into dime, they decided that Biggers would slide in and take on Beasley. Chip Kelly talked about it Monday in the press conference. I mean, and this was something we talked about uh, actually on the Eagle Eye in the Sky column last week looking at this Cowboys offense was, you know, you look at how you want to defend it. There's only so many guys you can double team and when you double team it comes down to defend, winning those one-on-one matchups across the board as well and in some of those scenarios look the guy's incredibly quick in and out of breaks and, and he's just a really tough cover especially for a guy like Malcolm Jenkins I mean it's just one of those matchups he's very very tough to cover when you want to put resources on Witten you want to put resources on the Dez which they did throughout the night sometimes you uh, you're going to get beaten in those one-on-one situations yeah Cole Beasley just kind of drives me crazy and I think that shows that he's a really good slot receiver he's so nimble and he can make those moves but like Fran said I don't think it wasn't the Eagles defensive coaches saying that EJ Biggers is a better defensive player than Malcolm Jenkins it's just that it was a better fit I guess to match up against him Malcolm Jenkins has had an unbelievable season I think a pro bowl season maybe the best safety in football this year so I I just think that it was you know just trying something different trying something else to see if maybe Biggers was the better uh, physical matchup there well my take on and I'll focus on the two touchdowns that Jenkins allowed the one and Fran you touched on this in your column was that you have to have the pass rush get home to make sure that Castle can't go through those progressions. Sure. Yeah, he had and way too much time. He had way too much time on that first touchdown. And the second one, you saw the tape. I don't know, was there some kind of miscommunication with Nolan Carroll where it looked like you know Jenkins was going to allow him to go to the outside and thought he would have help over the top? or So Jenkins had him, and he was trying to force him inside. He, w- he was visibly trying to force him inside. I think he thought he had help from Walter Thurmond in the, in mm-hmm. the, uh, at the safety spot, and Walter's eyes were somewhere else. I'm trying to, I think he, his eyes were outside towards Dez, who was playing outside. Nolan Carroll had him one-on-one in the boundary. So Thurmond was looking outside of Dez. Malcolm thought he, he you know, he was giving him help inside on Beasley. Gotcha. So that's why Malcolm allowed him inside. And then, you know, obviously it was wide open for the touchdown. I said Nolan Carroll because on the TV tape watching it, he looked like he was signaling something at the last minute. So it looked like there might have been something. Yeah, there was clearly there was some kind of miscommunication there for sure. All right. So the next one comes from Daniel Leitner on Twitter. Wants to know, does Lane Johnson's ability to play either side of the line give the Eagles flexibility? moving forward i mean i think that they've always known that he can do it because he did it in college you know so i think it's no different than and now you just know okay the guy can do it here at this level because he did it in college so uh, i don't think that was a concern it was just the fact that he hadn't done it and he hasn't needed to do it you know since he's arrived here in philadelphia yeah i think it gives you flexibility but i think if you're the eagles you'd rather prefer that you don't need to see that flexibility because you have a healthy jason peters over at left tackle who's been one of the best left tackles in football for a number of years now so i think it's good to see that he has the ability to step over and, and play left tackle against a talented defensive line like Dallas has with Greg Hardy but it's I, I think they'd much rather say okay you stay at right tackle because we know that Jason Peters is going to be holding down the fort over on the left side certainly and you figure at some point down the line you now know that Lane Johnson can play that left tackle mm-hmm. spot you're just hoping it's further down the line last one comes from Stephen Grip wants to know what was the motivation behind building up Matthews Jordan Matthews confidence to turn his performance around and to me I mean I think the Eagles know how hardworking of a guy that Matthews is and you know I think that was highlighted by the stories that we heard after the game on Sunday where Matthews dropped a pass in the red zone during training this past week and put himself out in scout team 
to get extra reps because he wanted to make sure that he had everything right. So kudos to him. It's great to see that kind of, you know, story where he turns things around. I mean, everything that came in his direction, he seemed to snatch. Alex, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, the the short crossing route where he got drilled early in the game Mm -hmm. or earlier in the year, he might have dropped that. No. And it was even, there was another one later in the game where, you know, it was a short pass along the sideline, but he's like tiptoeing to make sure he gets it in there. And it's like, you know, he's making sure he's refining those finer points. But uh, kudos to him for getting the, the situation corrected. And I think he had the right mindset of, look, it's just one game. He was doing his job and he's got to keep it up. You just can't stop now that you've had one good performance. Yeah, I don't think anybody, you know, people say it all the time, but there aren't many players who are going to work harder than Jordan Matthews. But to me, I think the bigger thing was that it was a mental thing with Jordan Matthews it wasn't a physical you know there were reports here and there about maybe he had an injury in his one of his fingers but I think it was just a mental thing so just to get away I think the bye week really helped clear the thoughts a little bit come back and have an outstanding second half of the season and even with the drops in the first half he's on pace to have one of the better receiving years in Eagles history I think he's on pace for like 96 catches now which would be the most receptions in Eagles Eagles record even with the drops mixed in throughout the first half. I still think he had a pretty good first half of the season. Now we can see if he'll really just turn on the Jets and have an outstanding second half. I wonder if mentally, knowing that he was the guy in this offense, made a difference where you had Jeremy Macklin last year to kind of be the go-to guy in the offense. I wonder if there was mentally, even though he was the guy in college, and you can kind of almost joke about how at Vanderbilt he was the offense. He was almost like a running back because he was being fed the ball so much. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that was, you know, adding to it. You know, he's just trying so hard to push through and prove that he's able to shoulder the load, so to speak. And, you know, I think the bye week just came at the perfect time. For Jordan Matthews. All right, fellas, I think that's going to do it for us here on uh, this edition of the Eagles entire podcast. So, no better way to send it out. I can't state how great this is. <laughs> I wish we could play the Dolphins every week. Is there a video that goes along with this? Oh, I'll have to check it out. Is there any way we can get them to move to the NFC East? There is a video. They play this in stadium, so this is like ah. they're they're in stadium. I don't know if this is E A G L E S. I don't know if like because we were down there a couple of years ago. I don't remember hearing it. I don't but remember I, this from 2011. No, no, I don't remember either. So I don't know yeah. how long ago that how recent this is, but this is phenomenal. Let's get we gotta get Will Smith to do it. I feel like no. I want T Pain. You want yeah. T Pain? Yeah. No, but he's a South Florida guy. Don't care. I want to repeat this. <laughs> E-A-G-L-E-S with uh, auto-tune. How much did he get paid to do this? It's great. When was their last Super Bowl? Yeah, I was thinking that 72? (laughs) I don't care. I'm just sucking this in. We're all going to be going home like pop-locking the Miami Dolphins like in the car. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be pop-locking watching tape tomorrow. Thanks for watching Dolphins. For Fran Duffy and Alex Smith, I'm Chris McPherson. You've been listening to the Eagles' entire podcast.